1: Hello and welcome to the first options action of 2021. While 2020 could be called a year of extremes, this new year is only pushing the envelope even further. And for you traders, this is when options shine even brighter. With me tonight, as always, Carter Worth, Mike Co. and Tony Zhang. Let's get right to it. It's not just the major indices that are continuing to run headlong into January. Everything that goes into everything, commodities, are running right along with them. But Carter Worth thinks just because everyone, or again in this case, everything, is doing it again, doesn't mean you should too. Carter, what
2: are you looking at? That's right. I mean, this has been an extraordinary period for all things macro, whether it's the dollar, the big move in rates, equities in general. We thought we'd zero in here on the move in the dollar and then the prospective concomitant move in commodities. So uh, the first chart, this is just the U.S. dollar chart, and it's in a free fall. We know this. just to put this in context, not shown here, there are only nine instances in history going back to the 1970s where the U.S. dollar index has not uh, had a counter trend move back towards its 150-day moving average uh, this long, basically we're up to nine months. It's only happened nine the times. That's a probability of occurrence of 0.08%. Uh, now take a look at the next chart. We are now down in the U.S. dollar right to those lows of late 2017, 2018, you can see I annotated the chart there with a circle. At this point, based on how rare it is to go this far without some sort of counter trend move, uh, that's what we're thinking. So third chart, what we're thinking at a minimum is that the downtrend line in effect since the peak uh, that we throw back, we kick back to that downtrend line. Now that would be a, a three to four percent move in the dollar up. And so the thinking is that commodities, which have been on a tear, of course, will uh, suffer a bit. Next chart. This is the continuous commodity futures price index, uh, the old CRB, and it, it has everything in it. But what we know, copper's up 90 percent from its March low, soybeans are up 70 percent, corn is up almost 70 percent. and So you can see that it's virtually a straight line but it's the reciprocal of the dollar. So the next chart, take a look, I've just done the exact opposite of the dollar. I've drawn the trend line off of the March low, in the case of the dollar, the March high. And at a minimum, I think we check back to trend. Now keep that chart right there in your mind's eye and look at the final chart, John Deere. It's identical. In fact, it literally is identical. And so John Deere having tripled was 100 in March, is basically 300 now. Uh, we think that it checks back. And so just one or two statistics to end, it's trading 40% above its 150 moving average, the highest ever recorded going back to the 1970s. And then of the 21 analysts that cover it, their price target is 283. That's lower than where the stock closed. We're sellers of commodities, Fade the Move, and John Deere.
1: All right. So, Mike, what's the trade on deer then? Yeah.
3: So, I mean, basically, it's it's been a, a perfect setup for deer so far uh, coming through to these highs that we find ourselves in right now. I mean, as Carter was pointing out, we have higher commodity prices. That's obviously good for the agricultural sector and obviously deer more than some of the other industri- industrial equipment makers like CAT and so on. They get most of their business from that. The other thing you obviously have supporting all of this is that we have very low rates. This is, you know, very, these types of goods often financed. So, this is an attractive time for farmers to invest in equipment. So those things are certainly positives as well. One other thing I would say is that while oil is recovered very, very sharply, we're far from the all-time highs there. And the reason that, the, that these commodities are doing so well, the softs, I think, that uh, Carter was referring to, it isn't simply just the inverse of the dollar. We also just fundamentally have a good setup. The anticipated exports for wheat, for example, are well above the five-year average. The thing is, though, if we take a look at the price to earnings ratio of Deere or if we take a look at the enterprise value to EBITDA, any of a host of these metrics, what we're seeing is that it's approaching uh, basically the all-time highs that you typically get in this stock. And these stocks tend to be cyclical. So does this mean that I think Deere's in big trouble? Does this mean I think there's something wrong with the company? It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does feel like we're getting to a level where any further gains are going to be a lot harder to come by. The other thing is that we still do see slightly elevated options prices. So what I was taking a look at was a diagonal put spread. Now, the advantage of using a diagonal put spread is that if the stock simply trades sideways, even if it goes up very slightly or if it drifts lower, all of these are ways that we can see profits. Of course, there will be various degrees of profits. And specifically, the trade I was looking at was the March 290, February 280 diagonal put spread. So I'd be buying the March 290 puts. Those were trading for about $15 when I was looking at this earlier today. Selling the February 280s against it for $7.75. Net net you'd be laying out about $7.25. The idea is the shorter dated option will decay more rapidly than the longer dated one that you own that is also closer to the money. Also notice that because it's a diagonal and the amount we're spending is less than the distance between the strikes this is not a situation where you can be so right that you're wrong. In other words, if the stock really rolls over, this trade will be profitable no matter how low deer goes. But I'm not expecting it to completely fall out of bed. What I'm expecting is that the rally
4: is not going to continue.
1: Tony, what do you think of the structure of this trade?
4: Yeah, so I particularly like the structure of the trade because, as Mike said, the business is still fairly strong here. You have uh, John Deere generated almost seven billion dollars in free cash flow last year. It pays a three percent dividend yield, and it weathered COVID pretty well from an earnings and revenue perspective. But Carter, Worth is, Carter is also very uh, is right on the charts, you know. By any stretch, if you look at this, it's overextended, it's overbought, it has classic signs of exhaustion here. If you look at the weekly RSI, it's above 80 now, which is a level that we haven't seen since January of 2018. So for all those reasons, I like the fact that I like the business, but I do expect that there's a bit of a pullback here. And Mike's trade structure is more of a neutral play rather than a bearish play. And for those reasons, I like that because especially if you look at the softs here, like corn and soybean, uh, I don't particularly think that these uh, these uh, agriculture uh, commodities are going to pull back here. I think there's some strength here that they can actually continue moving higher here. So for those reasons, I like this more neutral play, risking only about two and a half percent of the stock's price.
1: Carter, I'm curious about the dollar. Some, so many trades that are doing well in today's market are predicated on a weaker dollar. How, uh, how much of a bounce would you anticipate in the dollar index?
2: Well, hard to know, but it is. It's the principles of of the behavior of money. Uh, Think about uh, things that are in great big uptrends. They have givebacks, think of Bitcoin. Uh, Things that are in downtrends have throwbacks, meaning counter-trend moves, counter to the primary trend, are a natural and normal part of how uh, money behaves, if you will. And so uh, whether it's a 2% pop in in the currency, remember currencies don't move very much, a 2% Uh is a very large move, or whether it's uh, 3%, the thinking is that it's it's likely to do something along those lines rather than just continue to sink. And again, to ha- think that it's only happened nine other times, going back to 1970, that's extreme.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Another good encapsulation of everything we've just been discussing airlines. But Tony Zhang notes that glide paths can all be different. There's one stock with reason to have heart. <laughs> Tony, what are you looking at?
4: Well, I love LUVs, Southwest. Airlines, which I think is actually going to be the airline that's going to weather the COVID storm the best out of the three major airlines. So if we first start off by taking a look at the chart here, Southwest recently broke out above a $44 resistance level on the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine news, and so far it's been able to hold that level, and it's been actually outperforming the S&P since August here. So I think that there is a base forming here above this $44 level, and with earnings coming up in about two weeks, that could be the catalyst that needs to break out above this base and continue moving higher here. If you look at the business (laughs) itself, um, what's interesting about Southwest compared to the big four is the fact that number, uh, during COVID, Southwest, which traditionally has been number four in terms of seat miles flown, has now moved up to number two compared to the big four. So that's a pretty big move considering the fact that they are solely focused on domestic leisure travel, which is the only aspect of, of, of airline travel that has seen any type of gains since the start of the pandemic. And if we look at the balance sheet here for for, uh, Southwest Airlines, it's fairly different from any of the other big three. It has a negative debt position, which does limit some of its upside potential here. But for me, I think investing in this fairly uncertain times for airlines, I think I'd prefer safety uh, over riskier assets like American Airlines or United. And then lastly, if we look at the fact that during COVID, Southwest Airlines is the only airline expanding their network versus all the other airlines are trying to pull back. So for those reasons, I think Southwest is going to emerge out of all of this as a stronger airline. So if you look at the, 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 the trade structure here, um, Southwest currently has a relatively low implied volatility. I want to take advantage of that fact that there's earnings coming up in two weeks. That's a potential catalyst event for it to move higher here. So I'm going out to March and I'm buying the 45 55 call vertical here spending about four dollars and forty four cents four dollars and forty cents for that march forty five dollar call option which is a call option that's actually two dollars in the money and i'm selling the march fifty five dollar calls against it for about ninety five cents net net here i'm paying about three dollars and forty five cents it is quite expensive about a little over seven percent of the underlying stock's price but i'm purposely choosing that in the money uh call options to reduce the time uh, time decay that i'm paying for this
1: Tony, I have a quick question before we get the trader's take on the trade, and and that is why did you pick earnings as a catalyst when all the reasons why you like Southwest are very long-term arguments for the stock, for the bullish uh, outlook on the stock?
4: Well, I've actually been a put seller of Southwest Airlines because of the fact that I like the stock, but because of the earnings announcement, I think that that is the catalyst that it needs to break out above the current uh, re- range that it's currently trading in. But I do still have a long term outlook here mm. for the stock. I would look to roll that higher here if Southwest Airlines does break out higher. And if, if it does, if let's say earnings comes out fairly poor, I'm, I'm reducing my risk by a fair amount by using an option strategy rather than buying the stock for a long term investment.
1: Mike, what do you think of Southwest? What do you think of this trade in particular?
3: Uh, So I like Southwest relative to the other airlines. Uh, You know, one of the things that I would think about is a pent up demand. So I think business travel might potentially be slower to recover than leisure travel. That would be bullish, I think, for Southwest Airlines, which really caters to uh, individual travelers. That's obviously a positive Uh, As Tony pointed out, they have a very strong balance sheet, net cash on the balance sheet. In fact, they have, as of their last reported quarter, I think something like $14 billion and change, which is greatly in excess of the cash burn that they're experiencing this year. So very comfortable position there. The other thing I like about his trade, I have to say, is that although it's true implied volatility in Southwest has fallen considerably since the peak that we saw back in March, it's still about double where it was uh, a year ago. So we're looking at maybe 41 42%. Uh, implied volatility versus 21 or so in December of 2019. And that's the reason why using this in-the-money call spread makes a lot of sense. Uh, He's basically trying to minimize the amount of extrinsic options premium. That's the amount of decay that you're going to have for having this position on to a minimum by doing that. And so I think the trade structure also makes sense. The other thing is that you want to, when you're using verticals like this one, you know, you want to keep them relatively short dated, particularly if you have something like a catalyst like that, so that if it does run up to your short strike, that you're going to get uh, most of the difference between the
1: strikes in terms of value. Carter, what do you think of this airline?
2: Sure. Well, remember, this is the quality uh, name, so to speak. It's the largest in terms of market cap. It has the best balance sheet. And also what we know is that uh, it has done the best in terms of working off of its March low. So to think that, of course, LUV was as high as 58.60 uh, in February before the pandemic hit, hit a low of 25. And now it is uh, just at its November uh, sort of Moderna-Pfizer-Newsday spike. Uh, it's the best of the, of the bunch, and I think Tony's got it right. It's going to work higher.
1: All right. Still to come, we still have open trades to adjust in this new year. Mike Coe is going to add some more cents to the dollar and some figures that are almost beyond comprehension. Plus, don't forget to check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can also sign up for our newsletter. Stay tuned.
0: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open, midday, and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back uh, to Options Action. We just broke down some trades about the dollar's impact on commodities. Now let's talk about the dollar's impact. On the dollar. The greenback bouncing off its lowest levels in nearly three years today, rallying in the face of a dismal jobs report and increased stimulus hopes. But is this bounce just a blip on the radar for a dollar that is headed much lower, or is it beginning of a rally that could have some legs? Mike Coe is going to attempt to answer some of those questions with a call to action. Mike.
3: So I think one of the things we have to think about, a lot of people have been struggling to figure out what's going on in these markets. We had some unprecedented things take place in 2020. For example, we went from the lowest recorded unemployment, three and a half percent at the beginning of the year, to the sharpest spike in unemployment as the pandemic and the response to it broke out. So you would think that that would obviously be extremely contractionary. And yet here we are, risk assets are essentially all trading at all-time highs. What caused this and what is the impact on things like the dollar? Well, some of the things that bolstered risk assets we talk about a lot, but maybe we should throw some numbers on it to give it some sense of perspective. We've talked about very aggressive monetary policy. The Fed's balance sheet increased by $3.2 trillion from the beginning of 2020 until the end. That is absolutely remarkable. Long-term rates fell essentially to zero. And in the midst of all of that, we had an unprecedented fiscal response as well. If you take a look at what the CBO was predicting for the federal budget deficit at the beginning of 2020, it was $1.1 trillion. The actual number for the year, that includes both on and off budget items, $4.4 trillion, an increase of $3.2 trillion over the forecast number. Put those two things together and just think about what the net impact is going to be on things like risk assets. That's an increase of 6.4 trillion. That's more than 30% of the $20.5 trillion US GDP. So we had a lot of trades that were trying to play off of that. We made bullish trades in EEM. We made bullish trades in things like gold and silver. For those that were lucky enough to get on that train, they bought Bitcoin or they just bought equities. But now, you know, we have to also remember that there are other countries that are facing similar problems. Now, we might have a situation where, on a relative basis, our currency is going to be priced off of theirs as well. So we don't just operate in a vacuum. So we put some bearish trades on the dollar. In fact, in November, we bought the 25 strike puts that expire in March in UUP to make that bearish bet. We, we actually rolled that in December. For those people who are watching, you'll remember that. Right now, that March put, that 25 put's trading for about $0.90. Cents. We paid $0.45 cents for it. We are thinking that maybe now is the time to take profits on those types of bearish UUP trades and potentially play for a little bit of a bounce. Why? Some of the other things we're starting to see, rising rates. If you have an improving economy, all else equal. If you have rising rates, all else equal. That can actually support the local currency. And, of course, other central banks, other governments are doing many of the same things that ours have been doing. So on a relative basis, their currencies are going to face those same pressures that ours have. What is a way we could play that? I was looking at March now, the 24 strike calls. Those were trading for about 50 cents when I was looking at those earlier today. This is a way that you could play for a short-term bounce. Now, as Carter earlier pointed out, currencies tend not to move that much. They are very stable, generally speaking, certainly relative to some of the other risk assets we're talking about. But you, know, you can buy at the money calls. Typically, that's what you would want to do, buy it very close to or at the money and give yourself a little bit of time for it to play out.
1: Yeah, and as, as we mentioned before, Carter, um, there are a plethora of trades that are tied uh, to to the dollar weakening, and so I'm wondering where you think the most vulnerability may be at this point.
2: Well, that was sort of the hope at the top of the hour to uh, do the, the commodities trade, in the sense that we made a big bet, uh, Mike and I, to be short the dollar, thinking that it was going to do what, in fact, happily it has done, which is collapse, and yet. Referring to those statistics again, it has been such a, a long period of time without a counter-trend move, we think we take the road less traveled, flip it around, and make a bet for a dollar bounce. And in principle, a dollar bounce, uh, the most immediate uh, or concomitant thing would be a, a give back in, in uh, commodities.
1: All right, we've actually got some breaking news out of Washington, so let's get straight to Kayla Tausche. Kayla.
5: Melissa, we're just getting a statement from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, essentially supporting a move by her members to present articles of impeachment next week. I'm going to read the statement from the speaker as it appears in full. It says today the House Democratic Caucus had an hours long conversation that was sad, moving and patriotic. It was a conversation unlike any other because it followed an action unlike any other. It is the hope of members that the president will immediately resign. But if he does not, I have instructed the Rules Committee to be prepared to move forward with Congressman Jamie Raskin's 25th Amendment legislation and a motion for impeachment. Accordingly, the House will preserve every option, including the 25th Amendment, a motion to impeach, or a privileged resolution for impeachment. With great respect, our deliberations will continue. So clearly Pelosi is backing all options that Congress has available to it to remove President Trump from office. Notably absent from the statement, Melissa, is whether she received the blessing from President-elect Joe Biden with whom she spoke this afternoon and was going to discuss this very issue. Uh, but certainly Pelosi uh, had been weighing her own position earlier today. But the fact that she is putting out this statement uh, suggests that she has received a signal to proceed. Melissa.
1: Timeline is tight, Kayla. It doesn't seem like they would be able to get it done. And yet they proceed. So is this simply just a marker to say this is where we stand on this issue with this president?
5: Uh, perhaps it is, Melissa. Some of the draft articles of impeachment that had been circulated today were very short in nature, uh, citing the events of this week at the Capitol and citing the president's phone call with Georgia election officials over last weekend. Uh, th- it is a very tight timeline, but so far, House Democrats are expected to present the articles formally at the beginning of next week. That is what our colleagues at NBC News are reporting. Um, and they they want to, to make uh, a statement and put on the record how they feel about the actions of this president, whether they could actually complete these proceedings Mm -hmm. and whether or not they could actually get a changed outcome in the Senate this time around is still unclear. But just this evening, Melissa, there is also an explosive interview from Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski Mm -hmm. also calling on President Trump to resign. So perhaps they are just hoping uh, that these calls would reach a fever pitch and he would make that decision, although knowing how the president responds to things like this, it is unlikely he would do so. Melissa?
1: Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tashi in Washington. Options Action will be right back. Stay tuned. Get another check on the record rally on Wall Street. All three averages closing at new all time highs. Options Action back right after this.
2: Final call, Carter. John Deere, just too far, too fast. Sell. Tony.
4: Love LUV, buy call spread. Mike. Diagonal
3: put spreads in deer.
1: All right, thanks for watching. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.